Welcome to Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories that we've been covering on One News this week. I'm Jessica Much. May Heron. Benedict Collins. I quite like introducing <laughs> ourselves. I feel like that works. I feel like it's good. We've had a really big week this week. Um, oh, just I thought I'd mention we are coming to you from the TVNZ Beehive studio here in Parliament. It has been a really big week for us. Um, and we've got a lot to talk about this week. Let's start off with the big news of the week, the baby story. Winston Peters stepping up to the top job, starting his six-week secondment. What would you like us to call you now? Well, like you've been calling me in the past, frequently. He'll stand in for the Prime Minister when it comes to greeting international dignitaries. It's very nice to meet you, Deputy Prime Minister. How are you? Debating at Parliament. I call the Acting Prime Minister and answering questions from the media. I'm taking on all the duties of the Prime Minister and getting on with the job without getting carried away by it all. You've been around as long as I have, uh, you know, nothing sort of unusual. He's done it before, of course, stepping in when Jim Bolger went overseas in the late 90s. <laughs> Newborns have become more of a feature around the halls of power lately, with several MPs juggling parliament and parenthood. It was baby friendly, I was able for the first nine months, um, bring Heaney to Parliament. Um, I was able to, to breastfeed. Do you have any advice? Yeah, um, just don't listen to any advice. <laughs> Find it out for yourself. We've probably got four and a half million uh, uh, people offering advice now, so uh, I guess really m more so actually just an encouragement to um, enjoy the moment. One soon-to-be mother got caught up in the moment. I got a little bit teary this morning. How come? Well, it's, it's just emotional. I mean, it's going to be an incredibly happy day for her. A big day for Winston Peters too. Nothing changes, huh? One that will go down in the political history books. So the big moment we're all waiting for now is when the Prime Minister comes out of the hospital with her new baby girl and everyone's going to be watching. Yeah, like they have been for the past few days now. It's got a lot of interest, and I feel like um, we, we a bit of stick for it too, I think, actually. Yeah, why is that, do you think? I mean, there have been some commentators who have been saying, oh, look, the media's going crazy, it's just a woman having a baby. Why is it such a big deal? Um, you I mean, I think it's really important to note that it is significant, that this is a significant moment, having a Prime Minister, having a baby. But like you say, it needs to be balanced up with the fact that women have babies a lot. And so that in itself isn't so significant, but I think it is, it's the political side of it. It's the fact that she is the Prime Minister, right? Yeah, and I think, I think you know, just back to that point you had, um, you know, the stats coming out from Auckland Hospital, I think, was it 19... Women a day give you know yeah. give birth a day at, at Auckland Hospital, but then again you know New Zealand's Prime Minister now sort of standing down for the next six weeks, and we've seen you know Winston Peters come in, you know he's now going to be acting Prime Minister, and I think uh, you know it's a lot of interest in how that's going to go. I think it's a big story. A, it's a big story because she is a Prime Minister, a leader, um, being pregnant and being in the public eye, having a baby in office. That's a big deal. It's a big deal um, for for women being able to see that as an example. And I think it's a big deal politically because we have someone else running the country effectively for six weeks. So I think the criticism that we're getting overexcited about it maybe is is a bit unkind. Maybe people are getting a bit sick of it, but come on, cute baby pics. Who doesn't but, love that? Yeah, I think we do need to watch ourselves. I mean, look, look I... I think when you start talking about what people eat every lunch break or, you know, little things, I mean, it does get a little bit 
almost a bit, I don't know, cringy. desperate or cringy to try and get mm. something out. So I think there is a balance to be had here. And I think, um, but I think you're right so far. I mean, it's significant. We, we need to talk about it. Yeah. And I just also think that there's been a lot of international media attention and um, I'm not sure if we need validation for how excited we're getting about it. But if you did, it's been all over the BBC. I was doing crosses with Australia yesterday, like a lot of my colleagues were. Um, we basically had one of our reporters doing international crosses through the whole day yesterday. So people overseas are interested and fascinated by it. And like Benedict said, it also marks something else happening, which is Winston Peters coming in, right? So I think, mm. you know, there are a few elements of this that make this a significant story. Yeah. Uh, what was interesting, I just thought this morning, is that Herald had, you know, it's a girl. And I kind of half expected on their front page it to be covered with pink and butterflies and things like that. And they had quite a moving poem that they'd asked for. And it was all in muted tones. And I thought that was quite an interesting, you know, we get caught up in the baby pink and things like that. And I thought that was quite a nice touch that they kept it neutral, whether that was because they'd already planned it out, whether it was a boy or a girl, not sure. But I liked that it wasn't too gaga girly. I think actually the press did the opposite in did Christchurch. They? And I, I think they've actually got a bit of um, stick for, for going with the pink. And so, yeah. you know, I think you're right. It is kind of, again, a slightly other debate, but also very interesting about yeah. that but kind of presentation. Yeah. Well, I also think, you know, of course, there's going to be a lot of coverage, you know, around the birth itself and for the next, you know, couple of days. After that, I think it'll, you know, die away as the Prime Minister yeah. uh, goes goes home and, you know, and spends the next six weeks, you know, getting to know her baby and stuff yeah. like that. I think the coverage will die away. But it's, it's just really around that moment of the... Of the birth. I guess my expectations are a little bit different. I've covered royal babies being born before and just the mass of media standing outside. It's extraordinary. So a TV3 and a TVNZ and a Māori TV at prime camera there, not that many compared to that. So maybe right. maybe expectations yeah. are my expectations are a little bit different. But we've had lots of big political stories this week. Things have been turning around. Uh, you know, ticking over, if you like, even with the Prime Minister away. And your nurse's story this week was a big one, so let's have a look at that now. Hospitals are now preparing for nurses to walk off the job. It's the first time they'll go on strike in 30 years. The revised DHB Mecca offer has been strongly rejected by NZNO members. It didn't surprise me, but it disappointed me. Nurses feeling yet again like they're not being given what they're worth. The time is now to seek a better offer and, um, and to protect our public for the future. While the district health boards say their offer is significant, nurses say it's not enough. I get texts almost on a daily basis asking um, if we can get extra staff in for a day shift, extra staff for a night shift. A lot of people I trained with aren't nurses anymore. They have left the profession in under five years. But while nurses want more, district health boards have another message. There won't be more money on the table. It's double the offer of what we had made previously, an additional $250 million, which is a huge offer um, to have on the table currently. We have uh, a fiscal uh, limit and we've put out there uh, the money that we feel we can put out there. No more money, but the DHB says there's room to negotiate in other areas, such as safe staffing and pay equity. The strikes are set down for the 5th and 12th of July, both lasting 24 hours. All non-urgent surgery and services will be delayed, and hospitals will start notifying affected patients once they receive the official strike notice in the coming days.
it will mean disruption of services if we find ourselves in that position and if there is a way through uh, we'd like to know what it is. Expectations have been raised uh, extremely high by this government and clearly they haven't been met. Both sides say they're committed to avoiding strike action. Urgent mediation will likely begin later this week. So a very clear signal there that the nurses are likely to strike given that they haven't come with any resolution the first time in a long time too. What do you think this kind of message sends, do you think? I reckon it's all about expectations. I think that for a lot of the nurses and people in the private sector, when they had a national government, the expectations were low. Boom, in comes the Labour government. Expectations skyrocket. And whether that's unrealistic expectations on a Labour government or whether Labour has over-promised and now isn't able to deliver as much as they wanted, I'm not sure. But expectations are really different compared to what they were nine months ago. And the Health Minister, David Clark, said very strongly there, we've got no more money. He said we have a fiscal responsibility to keep things tight. We, have, as a government, have to look at the entire picture. And this is only one element. And I think with the story about nurses, I think a lot of people out there feel quite sorry for the nurses and they want to see the nurses treated better, right? Yeah, and I think you know when you understand the workload and the sort of work that nurses do, often without a lot of thanks, you want these people to be paid well. And you know, as as they've pointed out, you know, this has been building for like the last ten years from their point of view. And now, you know, whether it's just unfortunate for Labor, to, you know, to have come in here and now been getting hit with these claims, you know, it's quite interesting to see where it's going to go. And I don't think it's just them. Don't forget, you've got teachers watching yeah. this, you've got police watching this, thinking, oh, if they can get that, we want this too. So in terms of the government saying, look, we've only got this amount of money, they've got to make sure they they do it with all of these different groups and balance it all out. So it's big. I also heard in the House when I was um, listening to Question Time this week that the national MPs were saying, oh, yeah, but when was the last time we had a strike? Um, so they are raising that point, saying, look, under national, we didn't have, have strikes. And whether that was because of the expectations or management or whatever, but they have a point. You know, they didn't they didn't strike for the last nine years. Absolutely, and, and, and you know, David Clark, like you say there, he, he's at pains to point out we can't fix 10 years in one year. I mean, that's the line that they're saying. So basically, whether it is expectations or whether they can or can't afford it, the government is, is struggling here, I think, a little bit to just rein everything in because I think from the public's view, all they see is the strikes, and I don't think it's a good look, honestly. What do you think the chances are that they will strike they've obviously issued the notice now is it a fait accompli I think it is I think the nurses want to send a message from from what we've seen there I think what they want to do is is let the government know that they feel really unhappy they feel really undervalued and I think that the, the only thing that really sends that message is a strike so look I'm not saying that they're going into negotiations with bad faith but I do think that amongst a lot of the nurses they're just so sick of it and I think a strike would possibly actually make them feel like they've got a message across and that would lead towards a resolution. But you, you heard there, there's no more money. So the other things that they're looking at are things like safer staffing, rostering, um, training. So, I mean, that's where the movement's going to be. And honestly, I don't know if that's going to be enough. Do you think the public think they're being greedy? Yeah, well, that's that's what I was wondering too. When you... When you hear these, you know, they're being offered between, was it 9 and 16 or 9 and 15? Dollars, uh, per, yeah. $500 million, I think. $500 million, 9 and 15% pay rises for, for, a lot of, for a lot of their staff. It, it, 
it sounds enormous, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think sitting at home, you're thinking, gosh, they were first offered 250 now the government's come back with 500 Doubled its offer straight yeah, away. They're yep. satisfied, and these guys are going, well, look, we haven't been paid for a long time. But, of course, this isn't the first time that we've had a nurse's strike. Um, this is one that we found from the archives in 1989 by Cameron Bennett. So have a look at this. The last shift clocked out at seven this morning, effectively pulling the plug on the National Health Service. By breakfast time, hospitals throughout Auckland were left in the hands of volunteers and doctors who managed to get by during the day, but that's about all. Yeah, we've got yogurt, we've got orange. It was a case of everything being put on hold the skeleton staffs only able to provide basic care. In Auckland Hospital, many patients who should have been there weren't. They'd been sent home, some as late as this morning. And throughout the day, volunteers registered to help those who were left. I have done nurse aiding and hostessing previously. While outside, health workers staged protest pickets. The health board was also a target. There were a handful of admissions to accident and emergency, a small staff on hand to deal with the critical cases. In the children's wards too, most of the patients had been sent home, doctors taking on the chores usually done by nurses, anything from checking blood pressure to changing nappies. Today's strike highlights the financial dilemma of boards like Auckland, which are pleading poverty because of cutbacks and funds. We have had quite sudden and heavy cuts within the last 12 months. Not only have we had a 10% reduction in the operating um, vote, operating grant, but we have been told quite suddenly and without warning that we would no longer get compensation for any wage increases that came along. Before the strike ends, hospitals have still got to get through tonight. And to do it, some still need experienced volunteers. Another big story this week have been some tweaks around rules for foreign buyers that you did in your track this week. So let's have a look at that. Apartments like these could still end up in the hands of foreign buyers, the government announced today. It's a smartening up of the foreign buyers legislation. While overseas buyers now won't be able to live in the apartments themselves, they will be able to hold on to them and rent them out. Previously, they would have had to sell within a year. Well, it's a very sound policy because it allows us to engage in the investment potential of other countries whilst getting the same outcome for New Zealanders. That is, far more affordable homes for New Zealanders. But Mr Peters is adamant it's not a back down. No, it's a refinement. Foreign buyers have purchased up to 35% of apartments in some buildings. The government says it was advised that if it did ban foreigners, entire complexes may not go ahead and there'd be far fewer homes on the market. And the change of heart has been widely welcomed. A lot of these new builds rely on foreign buyers to actually help fund the investment. So I guess this is a really positive thing. It's one of the more sensible things they've done. But National's not impressed. This bill will have perverse effects. It's a real case study in, in how to get law wrong. Foreign buyers will still be excluded from buying standalone houses. The government concedes the bill has been a real rush job. Absolutely it has been rushed uh, because uh, if we hadn't done it before CPTPP came into effect we would have lost the ability to control overseas buyers of New Zealand homes whether they're apartments or standalone effectively forever. Australians were always going to be exempt and the government's agreed Singaporeans will be too because of a pre-existing trade deal. The restrictions are expected to be in place by the end of the year.
Yeah, now this this change by the government to these rules comes just a couple of weeks after we finally got some good hard figures on the impact that foreign buyers are having. Um, and it showed, before we had land information, New Zealand sort of giving us, oh, well, there's 3% nationally. But what we now have was new figures showing foreign buyers are responsible for about 7% of house sales in Auckland, 10% in Queenstown, and nearly... 19 or 20 percent in central Auckland and the government you know just two weeks ago was saying hey we were right all along you know foreign buyers are really having an impact in our housing hotspots now this week they turn around they've kind of come to the reality that hey foreign buyers actually help a lot of apartment complexes you know get the go-ahead so I think they've really sort of just come, you know. It's harder uh, than they think, eh? Hey? And that, do you reckon yeah. that's evident? Different like, difference between being in opposition and being in government. Those practical realities there. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting with the apartments as well because a lot of people think, who are first home buyers think, oh, you know, obviously have aspirations for a house, but maybe an apartment is a first step. And yeah. even though it's a perception thing and there'll be more apartments available for people, they still don't like the idea of being outbid. by foreign buyers. That's the reality of it. And I think you nailed it there in terms of perception. I think this is a quite a heated topic in many ways uh, foreigners foreigners coming in and buying property and I think you often get a bit of um, angst about this and, and people feeling quite uncomfortable about the fact that other people have access and can buy land and property that essentially is for New Zealanders and so I think the government is is struggling here a little bit to try and find that balance between um, what is the right decision here. They definitely want Kiwis to be able to buy things first, but on the upshot of that, there are some aspects where foreign buyers are really good for the economy. Mm. And there was also a a figure in that story um, that that we just showed in which we said that um, previously under the government's rules, a a foreigner would have had to sell a new apartment within within 12 months. Now, the government's actually come back to us and said, hey, a a lot of people did make that point during select committees, but they were actually, it it wasn't quite that straightforward. They were actually going to make up their minds on a case-by-case basis. So it may not have always been 12 months in all cases. It could have been earlier or later. So just thought we'd... Yeah, and I also guess that's that goes into the bigger picture of things that seem easy on the outside. Yeah. When you come in and you go through and there's all these issues and all these caveats and all these exemptions that you have to make, it's really complicated. Like I do think if it was an easy problem and you could go like that and that would um, adjust our house prices, etc., etc., then it would have been done by now. And perhaps it's just a a little example of, um, you know, welcome to the government club. It's a little bit different on this side and the government's finding finding that out. And I think it feeds into the wider problem of housing in general, you know. This government has to deal with what is a housing problem and they are they've got many strings and they're just trying to pull at different ones and trying to find that right balance between all of them and and this is one string here and it's as you say it's difficult to get this one string right but they've got a whole lot to get right in terms of building houses maintaining construction workers what about the quality of the houses there's a lot here to think about in housing which is really difficult yeah well there you go we did do some other stories this week apart from just cover the baby and and everything that's going on there. So thank you very much both for being here and thank you guys for watching. Uh, It's great to have you with us on Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up of the political stories that we've been covering on One News this week. It's available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook page and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) 